Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. For this week's podcast, I went for a walk with a spiritual companion friend of mine. That is, my friend Jeanette Banaschek went for a walk around her neighborhood in Chicago, and we recorded the conversation we had while Jeanette was walking. Jeanette is also pretty knowledgeable on the topic of pilgrimage, having undertaken multiple pilgrimage journeys around the world to many different holy sites. So we recorded this conversation last month, and now as I sit here today recording this, there's not a whole lot of travel going on. And actually, our conversation feels really prescient now because we spend some time getting into what the essence of a pilgrimage is. What is supposed to happen on a pilgrimage and what makes for a successful pilgrimage? Knowing or understanding these things, can a pilgrimage simply happen on a walk from your home to the grocery store or to the post office or just meandering around your neighborhood? So we use the five excellent practices of pilgrimage as a framework to address this question. These practices come from a book that we both love called The Art of Pilgrimage by Phil Kuzno. I hope our conversation inspires you to try this out for yourself, to go for a walk, to maybe go a different direction or go somewhere you don't normally go, or just go for the sake of going. You could take your phone and call a friend and chat while you walk. You could describe what you are seeing to one another, or you can just hold space for one another as you move. Jeanette, what are you up to right now? What am I up to? That is a good question. Uh, Matt, I am on a pilgrimage right now. And We're on a pilgrimage. Are you in, I- yes. are you in Iona or <laughs> Camino? I am along the lakeshore of Chicago, which is a few blocks from where I live. And I thought if we were going to do a podcast, on pilgrimage, how would it, I do have the underlying assumption that it would somehow change versus, otherwise I would be sitting in my living room with the fireplace going today on this chilly, windy Chicago day. I thought, how, how might this change from a regular walk along the lakeshore to a pilgrimage uh, in conversation about pilgrimage with SDI and you? Yeah. So it's, it's windy, it's a windy city, it's chilly, and you got up to go for a walk for this podcast rather than talking about pilgrimage in your home. Maybe we should just talk about the, the notion of pilgrimage to start with. Yeah. Uh, you've, you've led lots of pilgrimage experiences. SDI does these, we call them journeys. Uh, yeah. They have... They have pilgrimage at heart. Um, what, what, how do you understand the concept of pilgrimage? Mm. It's a good question. And, and I have been pondering for, I don't know, maybe a, a few years. What's the difference between a vacation and a pilgrimage? A walk to the store or a pilgrimage to the store? You know, what is it that makes something a pilgrimage and other activities not and 
you said that I have taken people on a lot of pilgrimages and we did not call them at the time pilgrimages. And so, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is in hindsight, um, and I'm going to be walking into the wind as I go towards the lake here. So let me know if it's too windy, but in hindsight, I would call what I took with students and adults pilgrimages. So it comes from, pilgrimage comes from the Latin word, peregrine, and it means foreigner, hmm. which comes from the, the root peregrinatio, and that means wandering or meandering for the love of God. And I mean, people have been taking pilgrimages for thousands of years, uh, especially religious or spiritual people. And, you know, what is it that, that makes them want to go on a pilgrimage? Or what is it that, maybe better asked, what is it that compels them to journey? And if you think about Catholics who, during the Middle Ages, there were four sites, essentially. And those were Santiago de Compostela in Western Spain. Uh, so that would be the westernmost point for them. And then Jerusalem was the easternmost point if they could get there. But if they couldn't get there, then maybe they would go to Rome, which is the southern point. And if they couldn't get there, they'd go to Oslo, Norway. And they went for various reasons. You know, they... They wandered, they meandered for the love of God, yes. But they also went because they sought healing. They sought transformation, change or a renewed sense of purpose or clarity about something. They went because they sought connection. Now I would probably, you know, if the root is about um, meandering for the love of God, maybe we could also say meandering for connection with uh, self, with others, with nature, with the divine. What, what, why, why does one have to move uh, in order to sort of achieve these things? Or why does one have to go somewhere? It seems like that's a critical part of this. Yeah. That's interesting because <laughs> Sometimes I like to open up what the definition is and explore the range of, of the meaning. And I'm thinking, you know, would it be a pilgrimage if I made, it, made the journey with my mind? Because I had some sort of, say, for example, a disability that would not allow me to um, walk or bike or even take uh, a train or a car, etc. Mm -hmm. somewhere. So, so what is it about moving? I think, um, you know, right now, what I'm observing is pretty large waves for Lake Michigan. I would say they're like three foot waves. Uh, a jogger just passed me. I'm noticing the, the lack of any signs of spring yet here, though I was just south about six hours and there were buds on the trees at least the first signs of it. I'm noticing someone on a recumbent bike who's paused at a, at a safe edge to overlook the water. 
the sun is bright, there are a few clouds. And so there are, <laughs> I, I give you all those uh, details to say there's something about moving and walking if we're able to, that helps us to notice things. Yeah. Helps us to pay attention to different things. Yeah. I mean, what you are, what you are doing is, it sounds like you're just paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> paying attention to what is in front of you. You're, you're, you're engaged actively in contemplation uh, in a way that um, you may probably couldn't do just sitting at home. What is the importance of that? What, why, are we, why are we paying attention to the waves and to the recumbent biker and to the blue sky and to the, the cold on our face and the wind? Yeah, I love that question. As I was preparing for this podcast and what might emerge, even though I know there's a lot of, I mean, there's an unfolding that we don't quite know uh, exactly what will happen and how it will unfold. But um, I was re-listening to a webinar that SDI put on with Bio Akomolafe. And in the third episode of the webinar, he talks about how, now this is going to sound a little bit like I'm going off, but I hope to come back to why. Um, but he talks about this study of judges and how harshly or generously um, they issued sentences. And what this study by uh, a group of psychologists found was that if the furniture was hard, that they judged more harshly. Hmm. And so the quality of the furniture impacted their sentences. If I'm sitting on something hard and rigid, I see things as hard and rigid. And if I'm sitting on something softer, uh, then I might judge it softer. And so he says, this is beyond consciousness. And I'm quoting here, the world around us shapes us in ways that we hardly ever notice. But because we don't notice it, we centralize traits. He says, Stephen is a man of character, of deep integrity. And this is not to deny the roles that we play. Contemplation can no longer be a human affair. It can no longer be about going inwards because inwards is already outwards. Mm. And outwards is already inwards. And so... I think about that definition, and again, the range of the, the word contemplation. I've been a spiritual director for quite some time now, and in, my, in uh, my training, it was a very contemplative, focused uh, training, and it was about, you know, the, the conversation was going inward. You know, we, we walk a labyrinth, and the, and the labyrinth is the perfect example of your own spiritual journey. You know, it's Teresa of Avila's uh, in, uh, uh, seven rooms of the castle. And with each room that you enter, you go deeper and deeper into your prayer. You go deeper and deeper into your contemplation to the point, you know, where the end goal is unity and love of God. And, um, and so maybe that's one reason why. You know, if the, if the inwards is already outwards and the outwards is inwards, when I'm moving, when I'm out and about, or here I'm walking on, on the lakeshore, uh, what I'm noticing around me gets internalized mm. and it transforms. And I think it, it has the potential, no matter 
what place we start with and what place we end with, there's a potential for transformation. And one thing that I didn't mention that I wanted to say earlier is I do believe that what makes a pilgrimage a pilgrimage is it's an intention. It starts with a wish and a hope for the journey. Yeah. Yes. And so I'm thinking so many things. The, <laughs> uh, I love how you're talking about inward and outward in such a paradoxical, non-dual way. Uh, it's, I think it's easy to think of inward practice as sort of being safe, uh, being within the comforts of one's own being, uh, almost like a retreat inward, right? But it's a safe, if you conceive it as a safe space, then I think you are, one is limiting oneself in regards to how one responds to outer circumstances. There's no adventure in, in just sort of withdrawing or being introverted, I guess. Uh, going inward is not being introverted or going inward is not staying inside. Yeah, as much as Merton, as much as Merton said that it might, uh, that contemplation is not for extroverts, I think he might change his mind now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm also thinking, you're probably familiar with the Situationists and Peter Bord, uh, these French philosopher, activist, agitators from the 50s and 60s and they, they were big on, on walking and walking a city and paying attention to it and noticing what they refer to as a psychogeography of a place mm. and how a place shapes and informs the way that you move about it. And, you know, their example was, uh, it was like a, like a student, a schoolgirl who over the course of her day would go to, um, I'm going to kind of butcher this, but basically would go to like two different places. Like she would go to school and then she would go after school to a violin lesson and then she would go home. And that was her routine every day. And it formed this kind of triangle, right? From between home to the school and then walk from school to the lesson and then from the lesson to home. And it became so comfortable, so rote that there was nothing to be discovered on that. And so even though, you know, you're outside the house and you're moving around, you're not really seeing anything new. Everything is the same. And I think, I think what you're, what you're talking about is the sense of, of being outside, being outside of those, of those normal rhythms, those normal circumstances that are safe and comfortable stepping outside of that to see, to kind of wake oneself up, to be on something of an adventure. And, mm. and so the moving is important because you have to, you have to move, but it, you don't have to, there's no particular way one has to move. You commented on that. You don't have to walk, you know, if you are, if you're in a wheelchair or, or crutches or whatever, in a car or on a, on a bus or on a bicycle, the point is to be moving, and I think, and I think, you're hinting at the point is to be moving somewhere unfamiliar. Yeah, and you and I have talked uh, a little bit about creativity before, and one of the things that we would, that I would share with students, is to change, like if they wanted to, sort of unleash some sort of creative potential in them, uh, to 
to change their route on the way to work or to school or wherever they're going. Because we do get into that same rut where you start to not pay attention to the nuances. You know, I, um, I was recently visiting some preschools for a work trip that I was on and I turned the work trip into kind of a working vacation. But the first part of the, the week was, was visiting these schools and one of the schools that we visited, the preschoolers go outside and they notice their surroundings and they spend 20 minutes, three, four and five year olds <laughs> spend 20 minutes noticing uh, any changes. You know, it, did it rain this morning or within 24 hours and what has changed, you know? And they, they talk about the seasons and what season they might be in. And I think, you know, I'm thinking about Annie Dillard and how she talks about seeing things yeah. anew. And this is, this is I think, what, what can happen when, like, like you're saying, you, you take a different route or you go on something for the first time. You, you notice so many things new, not only about the external environment, but also about yourself. How are you responding when you can't get your coffee for the first three hours of your journey on the Camino, <laughs> which, which happened to my partner and me. And, and, you know, that was difficult for one of us. I won't yeah. say who. <laughs> and, would, I would be, I would be very put out by that. Yes. Okay. I I, I'm a tea drinker. I will say that I'm a tea drinker. Um, <laughs> you just named, but right. Very hard. Right. <laughs> so, um, so you notice, you know, the point is, you know, I noticed uh, different things internally simultaneously uh, while noticing obviously every single moment was a new moment uh, on the Camino. And, and so just to, to share, I don't know if it's obvious, but I have uh, a couple of years ago, I went on the, the Camino starting in uh, St. Jean Pied de Port to Santiago and then uh, went on a pilgrimage to uh, Crete, Greece and then did some of the Kumano Kodo in Japan. That was an, a real intentional pilgrimage for three months that we took. So everything was new. Yeah. But the question that still remains to me is going to the grocery store. What if I didn't take a new route? How is it possible for it to be a pilgrimage? Mm -hmm. Even if I took the same route every day. If you've been listening to this podcast, you probably have a good sense of what it means to be on the spiritual journey. If you're curious about this, well, do you ever ask yourself questions around the meaning of life? What is the meaning of your life? Do you know yourself in your truest and fullest sense? Why are you here on this earth? What do you have to offer to the world? How can you be and sit with the inevitable pain, loss, and difficulty that beset us all at times? These are really deep questions, and spiritual companions go to work every day, listening, asking questions, and offering compassion to help people like you find your own answers workable answers, answers that are personal and practical, that build inner strength and equanimity 
a spiritual companion listens to and honors without judgment your unique spiritual journey. Spiritual companions help each person find balance in the adventure of their lives and practice compassion with all whom they encounter. SDI is the home of spiritual companionship and we believe everyone should have a spiritual companion. If you're interested in finding a spiritual companion, please check out our resource on our website, The Seek and Find Guide, a database of over 7,000 spiritual directors, chaplains, and life coaches from around the world who are available to companion with you on your own spiritual journey. The Seek and Find Guide is available on our website, sdiworld.org. Yeah, I would argue no. And I am arguing that, well, I have in front of me, uh, Phil Kuzno wrote a book called The Art of Pilgrimage, which you probably know. I know you're familiar with Phil Kuzno. And in that book, he has what he calls Five Excellent Practices of Pilgrimage, which I read last summer, and it has stuck with me. I'm just going to say them here, and we can relate them to the walk to the grocery store. Okay. Uh, So the first one is, Practicing the art of attention and listening. The second one is practice renewing yourself every day. The third one is practice meandering toward the center of every place. The fourth one is practice the ritual of reading sacred texts. And the fifth one is practice gratitude and praise singing. (laughs) So let's go through those one at a time and We can relate them to the walk to the grocery store or even on the walk that you're on right now. So we've already very eloquently described the art of paying attention and listening, listening to the lake and to the bicyclists and the the things going on around you. I heard some geese in the background a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Number two is practice renewing yourself every day. How do you understand that statement? One of my hopes is to wake up every day and and see the day as a blank canvas. Now, I'm not a visual artist. I am a musician. So maybe blank canvas isn't going to be my my metaphor. Uh, but But I still do use it. Well, maybe you could say there's a song that needs to be written every day. Maybe that works. Yeah, yeah. And... The, the sense that every moment is an opportunity to begin anew, to start again, mm-hmm. to have a beginner's mind. And that is what, to me, at least in this moment, a chance for me to renew yeah. who I am. And so, you know, it, it relates to my identity and checking in with the values that I hold so deeply and decisions that I make, are they connected to those values? So if I say that I I value justice, what kind of decisions am I making that promote uh, renewal Mm. around justice? Yeah, so sort of checking in with oneself and saying, who am I today? And then noticing the arrangement of one's life and actions and asking where the congruences between those two things are, or where is their dissonance. Yeah. There's an invitation to renewal every day 
But what I am sensing for myself as we do this conversation is just a sense of being in a rut or being bored, mm. bored with the routines of life. And I think sometimes that's, uh, sometimes that can manifest as not paying attention to one's surroundings and circumstances or just being so familiar with them that one feels that they're not worth paying attention to. Yeah. And so the practice of paying attention awakens us, awakens us to renewal, but it's almost like they go hand in hand. Mm. So let's move to meandering. Okay. Being a pilgrimer, you described as being a foreigner a foreigner wandering for the love of God. And I think you spoke to this too in regards to the renewal and the sense of oneself as not being starting with a blank canvas or a blank sheet of music, that one does not write the same song every day or one does not make the same painting every day, but that uh, fresh ideas, new images, new melodies arise. And there's opportunity to try those out, to see if they work. This is the, the creativity I think we were speaking to. There's an opportunity to try things, to wander and see what happens. Yeah. You know, I used to work at a camp and they prided themselves in being very uh, relevant and trying new things. And one of the questions or the, the discerning questions was, we don't want to just change for change's sake, or we don't want to just do something new for new, for the sake of newness. And so now I'm thinking about this canvas and maybe it's not a blank canvas every day, Maybe it is a canvas that I've been working on for a while and I consider what do I want to place where? What colors? What do I want to do with the light? What do I want to do with perspective? I think I know a few art terms. but Yeah, yeah. I am with you right now. Totally. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and sort of meander and wander that way. So, so one thing about how we do pilgrimage, I think from my perspective is it depends on my attention. I'm, as we've talked about, my ability, my history, my culture, my ethics of traveling, how I'm going to meander, you know, my ethics of traveling is going to impact what I do, where I go, and why I go. Yeah. How do we encounter challenges or difficulties along the way? You know, what, what resources do I have that I can access when times are tough on the journey? And this is all part of the meandering, right? Oh, I have to do a sharp right here. <laughs> I, I, I was in the Boundary Waters on a one-week canoeing trip, and we portaged, I don't, I don't know, it was a, it was a six-night trip, and there were times where while we were portaging, the water was up to our waist, and we thought, well, I don't know where the trail is. What are we going to do here? Or there were times where we were paddling, and the weeds were so high, we couldn't find the entry point to land. And so <laughs> we literally would just paddling through these five, six foot weeds that were feet above our heads saying, okay, 
and these are questions that I ask about pilgrimage, but why am I doing this? Mm. What or who am I looking for? That's such an important question. And I am more and more convinced that there is no one answer that everyone who engages in these practices has to answer that for themselves. And it's a critical question to ask. And it's something I was going to ask you about to come back to these other two elements of pilgrimage. But just what what does a successful pilgrimage look like for somebody? You know, what does what makes it work? What makes it good? <laughs> you know, when we were about to finish the Camino after 500 miles, for me, it was like, I'm going to feel accomplished. This is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be it. I can't believe that I walked 500 miles and I have these feet issues and, you know, I did it. And my partner was like, it is not an accomplishment for me. I did not do this to accomplish anything. I just knew I had to do it. Hmm. <laughs> and, you know, we struggled with this for the entirety of the journey in that I wanted to ask every single person that passed us who says, buen camino, buen camino, because you're hearing that throughout the whole journey. You know, have a good journey, buen camino. I wanted to ask them why they were on it. And one person really challenged me kind of early on and said, it's personal for everybody. And I don't know that it's a question that we can ask. Yeah. And so we started to have these conversations about, well, why are we on the journey? What is going to make this a successful, quote unquote, uh, journey? What if we get to mile 307 and we're done? Because my feet are just in too much pain that I can't go on. Does that mean that it was successful or not successful rather? And then we were like, well, maybe it's, I have a different reason every single day. When I wake up in the morning with my canvas and we, we look at the map and we say, all right, where are the stops? Where are we going to get the coffee or the tea? Where are the towns that have the delicious almond cake? How do we find those? You know, these are the questions yeah. <laughs> on our journey. Um, but every day it was like, why today? And I remember one day I said, I am on this pilgrimage to meet you two. And there was this mother and daughter from Croatia who prayed the entire pilgrimage out loud. Wow, that is such devotion. And I said to them, I'm doing this pilgrimage this summer because I needed to meet you. So I don't know, I don't know how to define the success. I just know I had these moments of gratitude and joy and amazement at the connection with people, mostly in Spain, the connection with people, but in Japan, the connection with nature. This is really great. Uh, <laughs> I'm fully convinced that not having an answer to this question is what, if you go on a pilgrimage, whatever it looks like, and you have an intention of doing a pilgrimage, then you are already successful. And the answer, whatever the answer is that you come up with is irrelevant because it's often an unnameable reason. You just have to do it. You know, sometimes and it's only in the doing of the pilgrimage that the answer becomes clear. And it's in the doing. And you know, it's a discovery, right? You're meeting these two people 
you didn't know you were going to do that, but it happened. And then that became the answer for you. That's the why of the pilgrimage. So this next one is really good. Practice the ritual of reading sacred texts. You said something to me. We were driving in a van last summer to New Mexico. And you said something along the lines of, you know, reading scripture. You're like, I can look out the window and be reading scripture. And I loved it so much. It stayed with me. I think about it a lot. What do you mean by that? You know, the practice of Lectio Divina, divine reading of a text, the four steps of the process. You can also do Visio Divina, where you use... You can use pictures, you can use your current setting and kind of go deeper and deeper into contemplation with four steps. So that's maybe one way that I would answer that question is that we can use the world around us to enter into contemplation in the same way that we can use words from sacred texts to enter into contemplation. And we could use sounds, we could use songs and sounds we could use tastes, thinking about all the senses now. I also want to answer that by saying, um, when I said that last year, and I remember, I was just passing by some folks. Um, I had been to Japan the year before, and in Japan, in Shintoism, nature is their spirituality is like a huge aspect of their spirituality is their spirituality yeah and on the last day of our pilgrimage on the kumano kodo we were making our way towards this waterfall and this shrine and i read about how the the waterfall was it's not that we learn about gods from the waterfall it was that the waterfall was god was the divine and i have loved waterfalls all my life i was a high schooler that just a little kind of crazy insight but i had i I, there was a store called the nature company and i would go there and just look at the photographs and i was always dreaming about these waterfalls And I wonder, and I've never made this connection until right now, talking to you about waterfalls because of your question. So thanks for asking. But that, you know, what was it that even from, from a poster in a store that brought me to contemplation when I saw a waterfall? Was it that the waterfall was represented God? Was it the waterfall was God? You know, I don't know. I don't know. The language kind of fails me here. Yeah. But I know that when you stand in front of that waterfall or any cascade, you (laughs) feel the majesty of it. Mm -hmm. You can't help but linger for a few more seconds or a few more moments than you would have, say, if you were standing in front of the cereal aisle or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you 
in the wordless spaces. And I especially hear the birds singing in the background in that wordless space. You are marinating on a sacred text. It's the meaning behind the words and it's the reading, the imparting of something. It's almost like a, it's, it's communicating. The waterfall is speaking to you. Mm. Of it is elusive in regards to language. You still know it. There's a deep mystery in the waterfall and you are able to read that clearly. You didn't even need to be taught how to read it. <laughs> the last item on this list is gratitude and praise singing. Although it sounds like the birds are doing that for you. <laughs> Thinking about Jewish people who were, who would sing the Psalms on their way to Jerusalem, or they would chant the Psalms. And later, chanting became a practice for Christians. So it is true. I'm not singing and chanting on the way to the grocery store. <laughs> I suppose not. But gratitude is a form. Gratitude is a practice, and it's an intentionality. Oh, what was I doing? I was walking my dog. We have a puppy. She's seven months old and she's a handful i take her for walks and she loves going for walks but she's not a good walking dog yet she pulls she yanks on the leash in every direction anytime she sees a squirrel or a bird or another dog she wants to bolt she loves to chew on the leash she play tug tug of war so walking with her is not really pleasant and I was walking with her to the store. She was pulling and, you know, I was holding her, keeping her at bay at one point. And I looked up through this cherry blossom tree, blossoms were on it. And it was in the evening, it was kind of twilight. There were a few stars poking through and the moon was there. And just for, maybe three seconds, it kind of took my breath away. And all I could kind of think was, thank you. Like, I don't know, something that welled up out of my heart. Like, thank you, God. Thank you, universe. Even for just this brief glimpse that I would not have seen had I not been being pulled by the dog towards the squirrel and I happened to look up. And you know, there's moments like that all the time but this gets back to paying attention. Uh, you know, even if you wake up with a cup of coffee and simply be grateful that you have coffee that morning, I'm glad I have it. I'm glad somebody brewed these beans and that somebody learned how to roast them. And I'm easily able to make hot water. I mean, you go backpacking. These are luxuries. <laughs> to be able to make hot water and have coffee, that's a gift. There are so many things I take for granted every day. And I'm, I'm learning how to not take them for granted. And I think that's the intent of the Psalms, the reciting of praise songs. It's just to remind us and embed 
on our hearts how precious everything truly is. Thank you for sharing that. I, it's, a, it's a beautiful image to think about. Kuzuno, in, the, in that book, he, he talks about respect for the destination. Mm. And I don't want to put anything on your experience that, that necessarily wasn't there, but what I heard was you had this respect for your new puppy. <laughs> yes. And for this moment that you had, and, and whether that was your destination or not, it became the destination because of of your puppy's actions. You know, what's coming to me now is the sense, as we ask ourselves, can walking to the grocery store be a pilgrimage? I would say, you know, yes, it's all about the intention. But what I am now sensing is that you don't have to begin with intention. Sometimes the intention can come later or the intention can be revealed to you. Mm. Hmm. It's about taking the, the step. Yeah. It's about saying yes. It's about saying yes. It's about saying yes to our very lives. Saying yes to freedom. To freedom and creativity. Saying yes to the songs that we hear from the birds. The sacred text that is a waterfall. Hey, okay, so are you on a pilgrimage right now? Have we figured this out yet? I got to tell you about this destination that, that I, I landed on for the last few minutes while you were telling your story. Okay. I made my way to this bird sanctuary. And that's why if you heard some tweeting a little bit ago and and sing songing from the birds that's because I'm that's where I am right now and I kind of got turned around haven't been really paying attention to the direction that I'm going in and all of a sudden the water was in front of me and I said I didn't even know the water was in front of me how did I what when did I make this turn so I've been standing here and there's this guy that just is about 20 feet from me and he's doing like a bird call and the birds are coming to him and he's sharing different food with them I don't know what and they're kind of following him this was my destination this was totally you know it was spontaneous you know I'm thinking about did I prepare for this I don't know I don't I don't know what that means I prepared for it for a little bit of time but a very very short amount of time well you can never fully prepare right I think that's one of the lessons here yeah sure sure one. Yeah, because I was thinking of Kuzuno, you know, how he talks about focus and preparation, attention to the path, respect for the destination. Mm. And yeah, yeah, suppose, you know, what, yeah, what does it even mean that I prepared for this moment? I can't leave it. I'm, I'm standing here and I can't leave the moment. I have the skyline, the water in this bird sanctuary and happy birds around me. You have arrived. You have found your holy land. <laughs> If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app, 
you could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. To learn more about spiritual companionship and ways that you can plug in and join our community, visit us at our website at www.sdiworld.org. Thank you. Blessings and peace on your day. And may you share blessings and peace to others.